The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash podshock. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch now in the iTunes App Store. a terrible decision to make. It is an uncertain decision, and we don't have a lot of time. The man who normally helps, he's gone. Maybe he's not coming back. In fact, I... I really don't think he is. We're on our own. So... An innocent life versus the future of all mankind. We have 45 minutes to decide. Live from the egg around Uranus, it's Doctor Who, Podshock. The Gallifreyan Embassy presents Doctor Who Podshock, episode 312, 312. No, episode 313, 313. Please hang up and try again. This is Louis Trapani, and joining me on this episode is Dave A.C. Cooper, pending. Yes, he's, uh, he's on his way. He'll be here shortly. Well, hello, hello, hello. This is uh, Lewis uh, speaking to you from the moon or from inside an egg or, from, <laughs> or as I said in our opening, um, from an egg around Uranus. But uh, that's neither here or there. It's actually there, not here, but somewhere in between. Uh, now that I've confused everyone, including myself, um, as I said, Dave should be joining us soon. I know Dave usually has these overnight figures. I don't, I'm not... I gotta be honest, I'm not a bean counter. I don't really follow the, the ratings unless there's something, unless there's a drastic change somewhere that calls to my attention, but I don't really follow it that closely. So uh, maybe Dave might chime in later on about that. I'm assuming it was good though, um, as far as um, last week's um, and, and this week's overnight ratings, whatever. I haven't heard otherwise. And um, as you probably heard from, uh, Kyle has mentioned 4.8 mil, so um, I guess that's that's for the UK, so that's a respectable number. Um, as you heard from the opening tease there, we are going to be reviewing Kill the Moon. I don't know if there hasn't really been any major news, uh, to my understanding, to cover, so I think we're going to 
and outside of viewing figures, I think we're going to skip right to the review then. But as always, before we begin, if you have not seen Kill the Moon, which aired yesterday, which um, both on BBC and BBC America, and it's available on iTunes and Amazon and wherever good episodes can be streamed. But if you haven't seen it yet... Spoilers. Spoilers. Again. Spoilers. 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 That's right. All your car accessories will be talked about here, but we're going to start with spoilers and work our way up to rims and other um, uh, fuzzy dice. We can't forget the fuzzy dice. Uh, <laughs> so Kyle, ha- thanks Kyle again in um, in chat, has uh, said 21.5% uh, total share uh, and 21 for the week in the UK. And um, he provided a link uh, to it here, which is too long to read out here. But that reminds me that if you are listening live, or I'm assuming you're alive while listening, if, you, if you're dead or undead, welcome to the show. Uh, but if you are listening live, we are ha- we do have a live chat that takes place during the live show um, that's available th- via uh, TalkShoe.com. There's, um, I use a TalkShoe Live Pro client, which is a like a Java um um, base client that, that runs on um, Macs and PCs. And so people can participate in live chat while we do this. So it's another way for interacting with you, our listeners. And, um, but if you are listening to this after the fact, you can always call the Podchuck public call box, which I usually give out at the end of the episode, but I'm going to um, give it out um, in the beginning this time, just so in case I forget. Uh, you can also go to our, f- our website, podchock.net, and hit the feedback tab on the top there to get the Podchock call box number. Or you could just send your feedback to feedback at podchock.net. But the number for the public uh, for the Podchock public call box is 206-337-4699. Again, that's 206-337-4699. And I do advise, even if you got that number, to do check our website because that number does change. Um, we are having the, the service provider that, that we use for that number. Um, we are having a, a little problem with them. And so um, it, I may go to another one, which means the number will change, unfortunately. So, um, but I know people are listening to these podcasts. People are listening to what we did few years, some years back. So I, I know people are listening at different times as they catch, as they watch the series at different times. People, uh, right now, there's a, there's a f- huge dedicated Doctor Who fan three years from now. That isn't one right now, and we'll be listening to this episode three years from now, while you know as they catch up on older episodes like Kill the Moon, which is now a new episode. Okay, I'm going to stop talking. Let's get into our review. But if you are listening somehow live to um, to the Talk Show show right now, you can uh, join us um, by calling seven two four 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 seven four four four. And if you are listening after the fact, you can still call us. On a future Sunday, live, if you can't get to the computer, you still can call using any, any phone and call that number, and um, Star 8 will put you in the queue. All right, let's get into um, moon killing. <laughs> All right, moon killing. <laughs> Kill the moon, as it was. It's written by uh, Peter Harness 
and it's directed by uh, Paul Wilmhurst. Uh, obviously, executive directors are Stephen Moffat and Brian um, Minchkin. M- M- Minchin. So, as we saw from last week, the preview for this week, we knew that it was going to be a um, taking place in the near f- future, uh, a sci-fi type of episode. Um, and as I played the, f- uh, you know, let's uh, before I go any further, let's get a little more taste of it right now. people here? Four. Minero, Luna, San Pedro. It was privately financed. They were doing a mineral survey up here. Messages? Mayday, SOS? Pretty much all the satellites had been whacked out of orbit. They managed to send back some screams. So then you came up to rescue them with your bombs? Not quite. They disappeared ten years ago. Nobody came? There was no shuttle. You had one was in a museum. They cut the back off it so kids could ride in it. We'd stop going into space. Nobody cared. Not until... Courtney! Oh, my God. Doctor, tell me there wasn't anyone inside that thing. I could, but it wouldn't make it true. All right, well, I, as I was saying, it's obviously, if you've seen it, you know it takes place on the moon, which is... um. You know, not the first time that Doctor Who has taken place on the moon, but it's uh, a first time in, in, a, in a while. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess I'm trying to think. Probably the most recent time was uh, we, we had a hospital displaced on the moon. Um, that was a David Tennant story. But anyway, so we're on the moon. I think that um, before I get into the story, just some technical aspects. I, I think they did a good job as far as um, the location shooting. It was shot in, um, in uh, Lanzarote. Uh, Lanzar, Lanzar, if I'm, if I'm pronouncing that right, um, and which is not the first time Doctor Who has shot there. There was a 1984 story with the fifth Doctor called Planet of Fire, which uh, was shot in the same location, though it wasn't the moon, it was um, the Planet of Fire. <laughs> so, but uh, I know when news came out that they were shooting in the same location, all the speculation in the fan community began um thinking that it was going to, the possibility that it might be uh, a sequel to that story or or somehow revisiting that planet. But I think this location served very very well for the moonshots. What I I don't mean moonshot, meaning Apollo mission. I mean moonshots, shooting location on the moon there. Uh, They obviously did some some color tinting and whatever to make it more moonlike and obviously edit the stars and took out the sky and all that. But I think they did a good job there and I think it worked very well. Um, I did like this episode, um, despite a lot of the bad science in it, but um, you know, I'm not going to dwell too much on that. Uh, but overall, I, I did like it. We, um, I, I'll go to my initial impression. You didn't think I did impressions, did I? Um, <laughs> With the first teaser, you know, with every episode of Doctor Who, it seems recently, we're back on Earth and um, we have to fetch Clara again and somehow get her back on board the TARDIS. And I don't know this. I don't mind doing this once in a while, but it just gets a little tiresome week after week where, you know, in the past, we're just used to having the companions traveling with the Doctor all the time and they're there. And then, um, as Dave had pointed out, 
I don't know if it was last Pachak or a couple Pachaks ago that it actually started not with Clara but with um, Amy and Rory once they sort of got, got married and settled down and wanted to have a, a life and the doctor was coming back and fetching them all the time, which is somewhat out of character. But of course, you know, most of the 50 years before that, <laughs> it wasn't the case. You pretty much, uh, you know, sign on board the TARDIS and you uh, bid adieu to your um, your life on Earth until you returned. So, um, so anyway, so once this started with the teaser, we see Clara. We're in the middle of a story. I said, "Oh, good, we're not back on Earth again. <laughs> we're starting. We're going right into the story," which I was kind of happy about. And then um, after the teaser was over, opening credits, and we're back on Earth again. And Clara's in school, and of course, we start. We have to tell the story from the beginning. So the teaser, that was an annoying aspect of the teaser. But I think what really annoyed me was I thought. It was very much out of character for Clara to just... I mean, if if you were just watching... If this wasn't at the teaser, if this scene was in the middle of the episode, I don't think Clara would just say to ground control or speaking to Earth um, that, oh, well, the, the, the guy that usually helps us is not around and we don't know if he's coming back. And this is like all ancillary information that they don't really care on Earth. You know, this was obviously panning to the audience, you know, like, oh, the doctor's missing, and, you know, what happened? You know, and I just felt it was a little, I don't know, a little heavy-handed there. I I felt it was unnecessary. It was just obviously um, for the audience benefit. But, again, it's not a deal breaker. As I said, I I did like this episode. I, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to jump ahead and give my overall rating, but, um, it is a positive review, though I know some get annoyed with me nitpicking, but that's what that's what we do. We, 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 we cheer the stuff we like and the stuff that annoys at us, you know, we talk about as well. <laughs> it's, it's all part of the experience of being a fan. Um, so Courtney Woods is back, the, um, the young uh, um, character that we met a couple episodes ago that has now... Um, I, I was kind of surprised. I thought maybe, you know, after the spillage in the Taurus and, you know, I, I didn't really expect, uh, not that I have any problems with her coming aboard. I just, I wasn't really expecting um, having another, a whole, like, adventure here with her. Um, I, I did have a problem with her, and maybe this has, this maybe isn't, um, it has nothing to do with the actress, uh, or maybe this is just has to do with society, you know, where the character was very upset that, that she wasn't special. <laughs> I think this might go to today's parenting, where it's, where every child, and, and I know George Collin went on about this as well, um, so this isn't anything new, uh, where every child has to be special, and, um, and, and, and there are no losers. Everyone's a winner, and uh, it's it's this whole mentality that everyone. I'm not, you know, I've, yeah, everyone's special in their own special way. But she was just like really upset that that the doctor didn't think she was special. I don't know. I I I, I guess I'm just from a different generation. I, like I don't need people to tell me that I'm special. But anyway, I, I'm not going to harp on that. Let's go on. Um. So anyway, she's back, and when Dave comes back, I'm going to ask Dave, or if anyone else might know that's in our chat or listening right now, what are white lightning and, and um, alka-poops? Alka I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, because um, 
<laughs> because there's a scene where uh, Clara's talking to the doctor and about Courtney Woods and saying that she had taken his psychic paper and um, and the doctor says, oh, he's, she's going to museums with it? Like, no, she's using it for white lightning and, and alka-poops, alka-poops or whatever she said. And I'm scratching my head on that because it's, I'm assuming it's a, it's a UK reference. Oh, Steve has put in chat, traditionally, white lightning is American moonshine. Okay, I, I did not know that. Before I go on, I, I do also, uh, which I failed to mention before, as far as um, people in this episode, because um, I'm talking about Courtney Woods, she's played by Ellis George, um, the young actress that plays her. Harmon Norris plays Ludwig. And uh, what's interesting is Tony Azaba, if I'm pronouncing his surname right, who plays Duke in this episode, another astronaut. And um, he's uh, a veteran to Doctor Who as well, where he's uh, appeared in uh, Destiny of the Daleks, a fourth Doctor story from, I think it was 1978, if I'm not mistaken. And Dragonfire, a seventh Doctor story, which I think was 1987, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, it was the Destiny of the Daleks. It was 1979, September 22nd, 1979. And Dragonfire was uh, indeed 1987, November 7th. Um, uh, actually, November 23rd, the anniversary of Doctor Who through December 7th, 1987, Dragonfire premiered. Uh, I don't know. I guess he just paid, played um, background characters because they don't list, um, as far as um, at least his listings on... Um, on Wikipedia, and don't list the characters' names in those previous stories. Okay, getting back to... Um, I'm so glad you guys are sh here shooting the breeze with me as I'm shooting the moon. Uh, killing the moon. <laughs> Mixing up my metaphors. <laughs> All right, so we're on the moon. Uh, interesting point that the Doctor makes. Um, uh, oh, it was good to see the Doctor's yo-yo again. Um, that's something that, that, that goes back to, um, I, don't know, I don't know when it first appeared, but I know uh, the fourth Doctor made use of it, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, if the second Doctor used it from time to time, but I, uh, definitely, um, it was definitely a staple among the fourth, uh, with the fourth Doctor. So um, actually, before I go, let me play another clip, and then we'll talk some more. Doctor... This is dangerous now. It was dangerous before. Everything's dangerous if you want it to be. Eating chips is dangerous. Crossing the roads, no way to live your life. Tell her, you're supposed to be teaching her. Look, I have a duty of care, okay? You know what that is. Of course I know what a duty of care is. What are you suggesting? She's fine. What are you, 35? 15. And don't touch anything. You got any games? Oh, don't be so stupid. Can I get reception? Get in. Why are you shutting her in? We don't need to stay, do we? Hey. Well, it's obvious, isn't it? The moon doesn't break up. How do you know? Well, because I've been in the future and the moon is still there. I think. You know the moon is still there, right? Maybe it isn't the moon. Maybe it's a hologram or a big painting or a special effect. Maybe it's a completely different moon. But you would know. I would. If the moon fell to bits in 2049, somebody would have mentioned it. It would have come up in conversation. So it doesn't break up. So the world doesn't end. So let's just get in the TARDIS and go! Clara, there are some moments in time that I simply can't see. 
little eye blinks. They don't look the same as other things. They're not clear. They're fuzzy. They're gray. Little moments in which big things are decided. And this is one of them. Uh, so Steve in chat um, has uh, chimed in about uh, continuing um, my question about white lightning, which I had, I mean, the thought crossed my mind, but I didn't, you know, put connection between the two that um, he had mentioned um, in chat that there's a um, George Jones song about it, and I, which reminded me that there's a um, a David Bowie song, which I think is a cover of an Iggy Pop song or, or maybe Iggy Pop covered. I forget who did it first, um, but I'm pretty sure that they both did um, a song called White Lightning as well. And um, so maybe that 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 um, is cause to re-listen to that again. So. Um, so, yeah, getting back to um, to the moon <laughs> ground control to Major Tom. Um so where was I before? Oh, yeah, the doctor's yo-yo. So, yeah, in that same scene, we see um, the doctor implies that he may go on regenerating forever. I thought that was somewhat interesting because we, um, you know, we all knew that um, a time law can regenerate 12 times and they got around this um, most recently, um, you know, with um, the doctor being um, granted more regenerations and we thought maybe it was just another 12 and but maybe it's maybe there is no limit and um you know we'll we'll have to um well we'll see <laughs> in another 12 regenerations but i i don't know um yeah i i i, I can imagine that they probably just did away with they they're going to probably just do away with the limit now so that um the doctor will just go on and on you know as long as there's interest there um there's going to be a television show uh, I thought it was interesting how this episode, this story, explores the idea that the, which is sadly so much the case right now, that so much of this um, space exploration program, you know, the the um, the shuttles have been retired, and uh, you know, it's, it seems like people are losing interest, unfortunately, in exploring space, and um, the fact that they have to use like an abandoned. Um, space shuttle that was used in a museum and um, that had the back taken off so that kids could ride it as, a, as an amusement ride and, um, you know, and, and that they're using, like, this old tech and, and, and older astronauts had to come on board because um, it seems that Earth has lost interest in space exploration. And then, as we see in the end, um, I mean, the, I guess the, the whole point of this is to redirect earth and and mankind and womankind as well when i when i say mankind i'm it's, i always see a shorthand as humankind not i i never I don't, I don't mean to be going to one gender or the other um but that mankind now points their uh, um their direction back into explore, exploring space and um space exploration and settling throughout the universe and as the doctor says in a speech later on that, um, you know, th th they continue on until until the end of the universe or so, or something to that effect. Um, actually, I have a clip of it, but I don't want to jump too far ahead. Courtney's on board, and she's, um, she, she well, she, she's the first woman in space, which, I mean, the first woman in, uh, on the moon, 
uh, she, she says something, she's, you know, uh, whatever, that um, is in no way <laughs> resembles what Neil Armstrong said, but uh, something um, obviously that was um, in lieu of that. And when she steps onto the moon, in all this time, I guess, um, I, I guess there was a, um, a mining expedition from Mexico that was there, which I guess was male only, because if we're if we're to assume that she was the first woman on the moon in 2049, in all these years, um, you know, I guess there hasn't been too much moon exploration, and I guess um, it took that long. Who knows? Uh, but later on, she, she has a smartphone with her, and she's posting to Tumblr. So either we are to expect that, that the, well, we have to assume that there's Wi-Fi aboard the TARDIS, and um, and and 35 years from now, uh, the the um, the app that's on Courtney's um, smartphone that she's posting with Tumblr still works with the service 35 years onwards. I um, I, I can't get some apps that were just released a few years ago to still work if you if they're not updated. So unless there's a there's a there's a little timey-wimey wormhole here that might be happening, unless somehow she's posting through time as well. Maybe um, this Wi-Fi, I'm assuming that the TARDIS has in order for her to uh, to uh, post to Tumblr maybe is um, somehow going back to 2014 to post to Tumblr. Uh, it's not just um, connecting to the internet, maybe it's connecting to the, to the 2014 internet. I'm sorry, Clara, I can't, I can't help you. Well, of course you can help the Earth is my home, the moon's not my moon. Sorry. Come on. Hey. Listen, there are moments in every civilization's history in which the whole path of that civilization is decided. The whole future path, whatever future humanity might have, depends upon the choice that is made right here and right now. Now, you've got the tools to kill it. You made them. You brought them up here all on your own with your own ingenuity. You don't need a time board. Kill it. I'll let it live. I can't make this decision Yeah, for well, you. I can't make it. Well, there's two of you here. Well, yeah, a school teacher and an astronaut. Who's better qualified? I don't know. The president of America. Oh, take something off his plate. He makes far too many decisions anyway. She. She. Sorry. She hasn't even been into space. She hasn't even been to another planet. How would she even know what to do? I am asking you for help. Listen, we went to dinner in Berlin in 1937, right? We didn't nip out after Putin and kill Hitler. I've never killed Hitler. And you wouldn't expect me to kill Hitler. The future is no more malleable than the past. OK, don't you do this to make some kind of point. Sorry. Well, actually, no, I'm not sorry. It's time to take the stabilizers off your bike. It's your moon. Womankind. It's your choice. Ah, there we go. Well, I think that was the um, the bigger question right here uh, that needed to be answered and decided on is this pivotal scene here, and the doctor leaves it up to uh, to th- those that are of Earth of well, I'm not of that. I was going to say of that time, but Clara is obviously not, from, and and um, and um, Courtney obviously are not from that time, but. Um, but he trusted that Clara would make the right decision, and and I don't know. I, I think um you know as someone that that 
when there's a cricket in the house, I take a little cup, a little plastic cup and cardboard, and I capture it and I bring it out. And, uh, you know, and I try to do that, you know, uh, well, you can't really do that with everything. Mosquitoes uh, like are an exception. But, you know, whenever possible, I try to, uh, um, you know, live and let live. And, you know, if they didn't, if they're not going to cause you any harm, they're not a threat to you, then I'll, I'll try to... Um, let them be on their merry way, and just entering uh, my home is not a death sentence. So, um, but anyway, I'm. St- the point is that if I was in that situation, I don't know if I would have made that same decision. I, I think I was. More, I, I think I was siding more on Ludwig, who um, was being realistic and you know and trying to um, weigh humanity. And well, first of all, there's there's also the real science that you have to consider because if this was really the case it would wreak havoc on the moon and they even there's even um i think i have a clip of it somewhere um you know you know they they even explore what would happen to the earth some of the possibilities yet when it does happen none of that happens we'll get to that later <laughs> they're actually on the shore they're on the beach and there's the the oceans and no effect no effect what's the, the moon's destroyed and all right well getting ahead of myself again. If we let it live, what would happen if the moon wasn't there? This we haven't got time We're this. discussing it. What would happen if the moon wasn't there? I have a physics book in my bag. There's this thing on gravity. Super. Is there a word? Search. Okay, there would be no tides. But we'd survive that, right? There's uh, They've knocked out the satellites. There's no internet, no mobiles. I'm, I'd be fine with that. It's not going to just stop being there. Because inside the moon, miss... It's a gigantic creature forcing its way out. When it does, which is going to be pretty damn soon, there are going to be huge chunks of the moon heading right for us. Like whatever killed the dinosaurs, only 10,000 times bigger. But the moon isn't made of rock and stone, is it? It's made of eggshell. Oh, God. Okay, okay, fine. If by some miracle the shell isn't too thick, or if it disperses, or if it goes into orbit, whatever, there's still going to be a massive thing there, isn't there, that just popped out? And what the hell do you imagine that is? Loads of things lay eggs. It's not a chicken. I'm not saying it's a chicken. I'm not completely stupid. It's an exoparasite. A what? Like a flea. Or a headlouse. I'm going to have to be a lot more certain than that if I'm going to kill a baby. Oh, you want to talk about babies? You've probably got babies down there, no? You want to have babies? What? Yeah. Mr. Pish. Okay. You imagine you've got children down there on Earth now, right? Grandchildren, maybe. You want that thing to get out? Kill them all? You want today to be the day life on Earth stopped because you couldn't make an unfair decision? Uh, so uh, it's not rock, it's eggshell. It's rock! We, they were just on it. Okay, maybe it's an egg, but it's still rock. And, um, and isn't gravity formed by mass, not by weight? You know, weight weight is a result of gravity and and mass and I, I don't know what. I, I again, I, I promise I wasn't get too deep into the science here because um, for all well and purposes, the Earth, I mean, the Moon already shifted orbit back in September thirteenth, nineteen ninety nine, and and is off <laughs> sailing across the the galaxy. Uh, uh, that's a little space nineteen nine reference, which um, many people. Um, have poo-pooed because of the science on that. So, but it was still an enjoyable series. I, actually, I enjoyed the first series, first season more so than the second. But that's neither here nor there. Um, so, yeah, getting back to uh, 
to kill the moon. So we, we've okay. Now we've learned that there's this creature that's in the moon, and um, and uh, it's going to hatch. They keep on saying born, but I think I don't think when something hatches out of an egg out of out of the womb, it's no longer it's not born isn't an actual proper term anymore. But I'm not going to get into that. Uh, Ludwig is connected back to uh, ground control, and then Clara takes over. And um, you know, who are you? She says school trip, whatever, and that just you know washes over. And <laughs> you know, and she's talking to them, and somehow you know they they connect her to a satellite, the TV satellite that somehow is um, connected to all of Earth, and um, and asks everyone to turn off the lights, and even and with a pair of binoculars, she can see the lights from Earth. All right, well, I'm gonna let that all artistic license, okay. Let that go by, and um, and Earth decides that um, to to let the creature die and to save Earth, of course. So, um, but then it came down to the decision, and the Doctor abandons them, and it comes down to the, to their decision. Is this um, unfair that the Doctor left, or not? I I don't know. I, I think the Doctor made made a point that it was um, it's it was their decision, and it was something that was pivotal to uh, the um, destiny of Earth and and mankind and whatever, and and that it was really that he shouldn't interfere. And uh, actually, that you know, um, I'm sure the Time Lords would be pleased with that because that was um, that's their um, prime directive, non-interference, if you will, and that's. Um, what, but actually, the doctor rebelled against that, and that's why he got involved in the first place. But I see Dave has just uh, joined us, so let's get Dave in on the chat. Welcome, Dave. How are you doing? Apologies. Uh, sorry I'm late. Uh, very active discussion I've uh, just come from, but pleased to be here. Let me just find out where you're up to, and I'll join in when I can, if I may. All right. Okay. Yeah, we're um, we're at the decision point of the story where I'm discussing, um, you know, the decision that had to be made, and, and the, the doctor um, f um, left left it to those of of Earth to decide, and uh, um, he trusted that Clara would make the the right decision. And I think we pretty much knew where the doctor was leaning because uh, how he described the creature initially, how it was a beautiful creature, and uh, I, you know I, I don't have the exact quote there, but he, he he was saying how magnificent it was, and it was the only one of the universe, and I don't know how he knows that, but he, apparently okay, he he's never seen one before, so but um, whatever. I mean, uh, immediately undercut by the words, how do we kill it? Yes, yes, which I think is a pragmatic, you know, question, you know, and because, um, you know, you just missed the clip that I had, but there was, they themselves were talking about all the doom and gloom that it would cause um, if if it did hatch and, um, and, that, and that what havoc it would play on Earth, which in the end it doesn't, but it, 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 here they're discussing that. So if we jump ahead, it actually does. Um, we do see it hatch, as I was saying, and um, and we do find that um, the doctor does come back, and uh, you know, j just as Clara and um, and Courtney, you know, decide not to not to go ahead with it and, and hit the button, whatever, and disengage, engages the nuclear uh, warheads or whatever, and um, and then the doctor pretty much pulls them aboard the TARDIS and 
um, takes them to Earth on, 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 like I said, no, no less than on the seashore itself, where you would see the tides. <laughs> um, the, everything seemed perfectly normal, and the, the Earth, the, the moon is destroyed or hatched, or and is no effect whatsoever. And it's um, not only does the creature leave, and there's it, it actually lays another egg, which would have to be really small because um, it's I, I guess it's it's born pregnant or uh, with egg on board. I don't know. Maybe the egg needs to be fertilized, but if it's the, if that's the last one, then I, I don't know how it works. Uh, again, there's um, oh, the, the science is not the, the top priority on, on in this story. So it would have to be really uh, small, but it's not. Yeah, the size was tremendous. But, I mean, the fact that it already had an egg inside it is not unusual. I mean, that's one of the reasons why uh, often grandchildren look, uh, take similarities from the grandparents, because uh, when, when a, a female is born, she has, already has all her eggs in the body that she's going to ovulate during her lifetime. So to have the egg already when it's born is not... To have a mature egg is unusual, and to have one that's bigger than the are the same size as the egg you've just hatched out of uh, seems unbelievably yeah, it's, unrealistic. It's, but then again, it's bigger on the outside. You, I just heard you point out uh, that that doesn't make sense if it's our universe. Yeah, well, I, I you had missed everything I said before, but generally I, I like the story, I like the episode, but the science is completely horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's it's really um, the, the real main negative I have with this is is that. Um, but I, as I implied, I, I made a reference to uh, Space 1909 and and how many people always um, criticize that for um, for some of the artistic license they took with science on that, um, as far as the moon shifting out of orbit and um, and, and leaving Earth and all that. But. Um, but getting back to the story, so here, here uh, since we're at that point, let me play this clip. What's it doing? It's feeling the sun on itself. It's getting warm. The chick flies away and the eggshell disintegrates. Harmless. Did you know? You made your decision. Humanity made its choice. No, we ignored humanity. Well, there you go. So what happens now, then? Tell me what happens now. In the mid-21st century, humankind starts creeping off into the stars. It spreads its way through the galaxy to the very edges of the universe. And it endures until the end of time. And it does all that because one day in the year 2049, when it had stopped thinking about going to the stars, something occurred that made it look up, not down. It looked out there into the blackness and it saw something beautiful, something wonderful that for once it didn't want to destroy. And in that one moment, the whole course of history was changed. Not bad for a girl from Coal Hill School and her teacher. 
gosh. It laid a new egg. So this part of the story actually reminds me a little bit of 2010, the year we made contact, the, where, um, well, I, I don't know, I don't want to spoil the movie for you, but it's, it's it was 1984, so I, I guess um, the statute of limitations have run out, but uh, there's, um, in, instead of a new moon, uh, we get a new sun, and there's, um, and it it's like a revelation for people of Earth, and, and, and um, so it, it's it's similar to here where now we're in the in the beginning of this episode we're faced with the dire fact that um, that Earth has kind of turned its back on the space program and space exploration. They're using old shuttles and older astronauts, and um, they're using scrapping whatever they have to put together and to get back to space. It took them ten years to to get back up here as a rescue mission for the the Mexican. Um, uh, mineral um, expedition, whatever it was. So uh, now, you know, a- and as we know in future stories and, you know, Doctor Who stories that take place, you know, in the far future, you know, humans are out there in space and exploring and all that. Um, there, um, and this sort of explains how we got there from where we are today with the shuttle program um, retired. And um, I'm hoping that, you know, we see more activity on the private sector. In fact, just yesterday was the 10th anniversary of Spaceship One, which was the first private um, um, spaceship to enter space, um, suborbital um, ship. Spaceship One was uh, 2004. It went. Um, it entered. You know, it was the first space spaceship that did that privately, private spaceship. Uh, just uh, going to chat here. Uh, Jim and Kathleen had made a mention that about the egg. You know, we were talking before about the egg being bigger, and um, so it spun like an egg, like Creature from the Pit. So it's a reference to another Tom Baker story there. um, I haven't seen that in a while. So we have a new moon. Um, All this happens within minutes. (laughs) You know, it's hatched, an egg is laid, same, pretty much in the same spot. And it looks to be around the same size, and um, there's still no ill effects of that we see on the Earth at all. It's a beautiful day at the beach, um, but we'll we'll let that all pass. And um, and then we um, we move away to, um, or we go away, I should say, to um, to to Clara um, and the Doctor's um, dialogue on the TARDIS. And oh, well, I, I didn't do it for Courtney. I didn't know what was going to happen. Do you think I'm lying? I don't know. I don't know. But if you didn't do it for her, I mean... Do you know what? It was... It was cheap. It was pathetic. No, no, no. It was patronising. That was you. Pat Ingalls on the back saying, well, you're big enough to go to the shops by yourself now. Go on, toddle along. Oh, no, that was me allowing you to make a choice about your own future. That was me... respecting you. Oh, my God, really? Was it? Yeah, well, respected is not how I feel. <laughs> Right, okay. Uh, I nearly didn't press that button. I nearly got it wrong. That was you. My friend making me scared, making me feel like a bloody idiot. Language. Oh, don't you ever tell me to mind my language. Don't you ever tell me to take the stabilizers off my back and don't you dare lump me in with the rest of all the little humans that you think are so tiny and silly and predictable. You walk our earth, Doctor. You breathe our air. You make us your friend, then that is your moon too, and you can damn well help us when we need it. I was helping. What, by clearing off? Yes. Yeah, well, clear off! 
Guan, you can clear off, get back in your lonely, your lonely bloody TARDIS, and you don't come back. Clara, Clara. So uh, Steve in chat had mentioned that um, maybe the creature's a time traveler. So that's that's a uh, possibility. Maybe it it flew off not in just in space, but maybe in time, and then it returned back to uh, like like. Um, What's that fish that returns back to the same river it's born? Um, they, uh, maybe, salmon. Salmon, thank you. That maybe that's it, it returned back to where it was hatched and laid an egg. <laughs> so maybe it was, uh, maybe it was the same creature, but it, maybe it was, um, uh, who knows, could, uh, hundreds of years or, or a thousand years into the future, and that came back to that same point in time. Um, <laughs> just after it, it, it flew off, it came back. Who knows? Um, it's science fiction, so... We can have fun with it. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I was trying to think how could they make that work better, and, and that's one possibility there. Yeah, it could do. If it came back every hundred thousand years and uh, spawned another moon. Possibly, possibly, sure. So the Clara, Clara is very upset that she was that the Doctor abandoned her in her time of need, and. Um, and that's what that's what we see here in this scene here, and then we see um, Danny Pink at the end there, which um, he's giving a little more away to um, to his history, not saying much though. That you know he's you know she says, oh how did you get so smart? And she's he said like everyone else, I had a bad day. So and you know and he talks about how he you know was passionate about the army, and then one day he wasn't. And um, obviously he left. So um, one can draw a conclusion that he had a bad day that made him want to leave. And so we're getting a little, a little more pieces there. Nothing too elaborate, though. And no mention of the nether sphere in this episode, was there? Not that yeah, you know what? I, and funny that you say that because... I even forgot about it. <laughs> you know, I, it's usually, you know, when they don't have it, I'm like, ah, oh, look, they didn't have it. And I, I didn't miss, miss, I didn't miss Missy. And I know that there, there are a lot of people there that, that like that. And then again, I, I have no one, I don't feel one way or the other um, about Missy. It's just, the, the, I, I always said that we could go on a, a series without an overall story arc through the whole series. But um, that's, again, it's, um, but yeah, I didn't miss it at all. Yeah, I think it would have spoiled this episode if it done. I mean, obviously, coming in late, I'm, uh, uh, it might be better if I just just give a, uh, an overall review when you're ready for me to do so. Well, before you do, I, I wanted to ask you before, but you weren't here. Uh, in the beginning of this story, uh, they're taught, uh, Clara and the doctor are talking about Courtney Woods and how she's so troubled that she wasn't special, which I was making a, um, you know, I was saying that's probably a result of today's parenting and having everyone has to be special and all that. And she's out of whack because of that. But she she's also taken the doctor's psychic paper and the doctor says, oh, she's going to museums with it. And Clara says, no, she is, oh, she, you know, the doctor says, what is he using? What is she using it for? She says um, she's using it for white lightning and alka poops. And uh, um, so... Alka pops. Alka pops. Okay, I'm sorry, alka pops. What is alka pops? I have no she clue. Means, uh, 
Alka Alpa Alka Pops are alcoholic drinks that are mostly fruit based. So oh, alcoholic pops, that, like soda, like soda. Right. Pop yeah. With... Yeah. So, but but that shouldn't be drunk by anybody here in the UK under eighteen. But there's been a there was a big thing about them in the UK because they made people who didn't really like drinks drinks. So in other words, they'd have a fruit drink with vodka in it because uh, they didn't like the taste of vodka but they'd get drunk on it and it got this reputation that young kids would hang outside off licenses and get older people to go in and buy them for them uh so it was that sort of thing okay. um but 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 she hadn't of course she'd actually gone to get some cleaning agents because she'd uh, been sick in the tardis on her first journey yeah it kills 99 percent germs <laughs> I, I, I related to that too because after uh, super superstorm sanding and being flooded, I, I got those same cleaning agents. <laughs> uh, they are. Except for my germs weren't that big. Prepare for the alien invasion. <laughs> I, I'm always prepared. You gotta have it. You know, you, I got a, a banana here. I got a sonic screwdriver, and I'm all set. And now we got some cleaning agents for uh, from some big spider germs. So, um, I'm getting back to, I mean, I did like the, that whole, the, that whole, like, um, abandoned, you know, spacecraft and, you know, that whole mystery thing of what, what these creatures were. And, um, I think that all worked well. Um, what I think I'm going to do is, um, I usually save this to the end, but maybe I'll just give it now and then maybe Dave can chime in as well, um. Uh, I think overall, I, I did like the story. I did like, the, I mean, I liked the episode. Um, despite all the bad science in it, I, I did enjoy it. And um, like I said, even though I, I can go on and on about all the things that irked me about it, but overall, I, I think the the pros um, outweigh the cons. It was good to see see another uh, a, a future story, something uh, a story that's not on Earth. Um, a story that's um, in the soap uh, space opera theme where it's, you know, um, dealing with with space and space flight. And, and um, I like the um, the exploration of, of what they did with, um, you know, they explored the concept that Earth has turned its back on exploring space and, um, and they addressed that and how this is a pivotal moment um, in Earth's direction and as it spreads across the universe this is what what causes that all to happen um uh, i i think it was well executed um i think the sound was good um the uh, look as i mentioned earlier the location shooting there um again reused from um it's not the first time they shot there but i think it worked very well for the moon even though it wasn't the planet of fire this time i think it worked very well um space suits and i think you know so despite the the other stuff that I had problems with, there's still a lot to like about it. And there's the, uh, um, you know, the storytelling and the characters, which really are the heart and soul of Doctor Who. And uh, that that's what I try to focus on in um, in the story here. So I'm, I'm going to give it four out of five Tardis groans. And, um, and and that's basically my um, my take on this. Dave? Okay, well, um, I, I surprised myself, in fact, that I, I did like it, and, uh, and I'm actually going to give it a similar rating, four out of five, let me say that from the beginning. Although I, I shouldn't have liked it in one sense, because, uh, first of all, it did a, a switch midway through. The first 23, 24 minutes 
it, it seemed to be real hard science fiction, which is what I've been wanting on Doctor mm-hmm. Who. Quite rightly, as you say, we're, we're in spacesuits. You know, we're on the moon. Uh, we're 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 sort of pushing towards a story that's set uh, in t- uh, 2049. Uh, so uh, all that is great. I, I'm thinking it's fine. A little bit thinking it's a familiar sort of slightly horror genre. We've had supposedly episodes that were going to be frightening that didn't turn out to be frightening. Uh, you can't have much more frightening than, you know, uh, spiders, you know, a yard across, three feet across, um, uh, with the, the the bright colours, we, um, we it was a little bit like um, you know the, uh, a base under siege, like the Antarctic, mm-hmm. the horror yeah. film The Thing, or something like that. Um, uh, the scuttling effect of the spiders, the soundscape, the you know the the torchlight, the whole. Uh, way looked really well. I mean, it did seem bizarre slightly. You know, we we get this uh, story where the doctor, you know, has, has upset this girl, and Clara basically bullies him into to to offering a, a fig leaf, a, what the fig, not a, a laurel leaf or a, whatever it is you offer to uh, make friends. So he says, "How would you like to be the first uh, girl on woman on the moon?" Uh, they land in this uh, shuttle that's crash landing. Of course, um, I think you did say that it was a rescue mission for these Mexican miners and uh, I'm afraid it's a bit bit awkward that they pick Mexican miners because unfortunately Mexican mining has had not a very good reputation for safety. Well, this crew didn't do particularly well. Uh, and of course, it wasn't a rescue mission. This was 10 years later. So they hadn't expected to get them, save them. Yeah. But um, they'd come, they'd got this... Uh, shuttle out of uh, uh, the museum. museum. They've got the last remaining warheads. And it basically was a suicide mission. Mm -hmm. Now, that explains in some ways the decrepitude of the crew. Uh, She's she's obviously the only one that's... And she has no children. Maybe it was the... Yeah, yeah, she was maybe the last one to be recruited into the space programme. So she's supposed to be a middle-aged woman. The actress herself, who who I particularly like, Mm -hmm. uh, Hermione Morris... um, if you're not familiar with her work, um, the most recent thing she's been on in the UK is The Crimson Field, which was um, about World War One drama about nurses during the First World War. But she's been in, in quite a lot of other um, things. Um, I like well, her. I list it, I'm I, sure. She had a familiar sure. presence to her, even though I, I didn't see Crimson Fields, but I, I did. she does have uh, that familiar presence to her. Well, she was in Outcasts, which was the uh, one of the uh, UK uh, science fiction ones where they they get sent to another world. Unfortunately, it was cancelled just as it was getting going, which uh, I really liked. Um, Outcasts was the one where um, the leader of the expedition was uh, played by Liam Cunningham, and uh, Liam Cunningham has uh, also been in Doctor Who, of course. Uh, I'm trying to remember which episode he was in. I'm sure somebody will put it in text in a moment. As I quickly look, um, he was in Camelot, but he was in um, been in Game of Thrones. He's Captain Zukov in uh, one of the Doctor Who episodes. So um, you know she ha- she does have a pedigree in TV acting, and I thought she played the part well. The young girl, the young uh, girl who who, if you listen to the I watched the extra from last week, didn't know that she's going to be called back for a mm-hmm. story. Um, 
she did uh, a reasonably well job, although I don't particularly want to see her as a, a, an ongoing companion. I think she's grown tremendously in this role. And as you say, the, there was a lovely, there, there was nice payoffs in this because what was said at the beginning had a, a, you know, on the beach, things came to fruition. So um, he said to her, you know, uh, not bad from a, a schoolgirl from Coal Hill and a teacher, you know, save the planet. And we find out that she's going to be that prime minister. Yes. Sorry, that, that president. Um, president of the time. I'm not sure how that happens. Uh, I think Darth pointed out, I mean, whether whether she does... I mean, we assume her parents are, are British from the Coal Hill School, but I suppose her father could be uh, an American living in the UK, so she may have dual citizenship or something like that. Maybe she just gets a job because she saved the earth. Who knows? The other crew members were a little bit throwaway. They were very old. One of them was almost uh, seemed to have Alzheimer's disease. But presumably, because this was a suicide mission, they crash-landed in the moon. There was no way they were going to come back. They were going to be standing... I mean, how far can you run in a spacesuit away from 100 nuclear bombs? Not very far, I don't think. So they were expected to come back. Um, there was a lot of difficult science, uh, which that was the amazing thing, uh, that... I thought this is going to be a Rings of Akatan oh, feeling for me. Um, <laughs> I couldn't accept a lot of that. Um, but for some reason, I could overlook it in this one where I couldn't in that one. Um, and I think it's probably because the, the, it was the dilemma that made the story. Yeah. Um, the science didn't work, but, but the dilemma was... At, yeah, wasn't. that's how but I felt. Like Clara, uh, I mean, Jenna Coleman, some of superb moments with her acting absolutely wonderful one of the best companions i mean to me she's in the top three companions certainly the top five if you if you want to come male companions as well maybe the top five so you you got to go back to the first companions there's always got to be thrown in the mix there and sarah jane uh, and of the modern companions i think clara's been the best mm -hmm. um Maybe her character's been written better. I certainly think her dynamic with this Doctor, although it's not gelling, they're clashing, as you referenced in this episode. I still prefer her relationship with this Doctor than to the 12th Doctor. It's in the future. Yeah. We've got monsters of sorts. Although why they made them germs... I mean, they said single-celled are mono-celled creatures, mm -hmm. but they obviously had structure. They're obviously a biology. Yeah. Um, I don't know why they just didn't go with parasites or something. Yeah, I parasites think that would work better. Uh, I mean, the changing mass, I didn't, uh, I didn't understand, because, you know, if this creature was feeding on anything, it was only feeding on... I mean, the whole idea of an egg, the egg is a marvellous thing of, um, you know, evolution, because, you know... A creature is not fully born, but is outside the parent with all the sustenance within inside that shell. All it may need is the shell keeping warm by the, say, the bird or whatever uh, creature mm -hmm. sitting over the egg. Uh, but of course, the the presumably in the hundred million years, the the moon has been pounded by minor collisions, which has given it this sort of outer coating, so it doesn't actually look like an egg. Uh, but it wouldn't have put on mass. All it's converting is the 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 you know the the yeah. yolk of the egg mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it. That's developing. So I don't know where that happens. I don't know what these spiders are uh, feeding on. Uh, maybe that leaking amniotic fluid is what they're doing. But again, there's the science. Uh, as our Perry G from NASA uh, 
called it, well, he didn't call it, he gave Ian some info, but, you know, you wouldn't have fluids. I mean, they got the science right in terms of, um, you know, the girl uses that antibiotic within the station. It kills it, luckily for her. When they tried that out in the vacuum of the space, it wouldn't work because it would just, it would just disperse into to nothingness without any atmosphere. Um, so the, the science were, was a joke in that. But, but beyond that, I still uh, love the story. Um, I don't think the Doctor actually did leave um, and I think, but I think it was right for him not to be part of the decision-making process. Yeah. This was one of those pivotal points. But I don't think it was a fixed point. It was the exact opposite of a fixed point. I mean, I suppose you could go back to uh, Fires of Pompeii or go back to um, um, the Wars of Mars, uh, because we have very well-acted Peter Capaldi. Uh, He's obviously confused in the beginning. He, he can't see it. So he knows that this is actually a time in flux. It, the decision is not yet being made, and it's not a fixed point. It's not something where he has to do what David, uh, the Tenth Doctor did, which is actually bring about his own destruction because he, he steps beyond... You know, he thinks of himself almost as a god, doesn't he, in those days? And then we all knew there was nowhere to go. They could only explore that storyline if the Doctor's time was now limited because you can't have a Doctor that's so all-powerful as that. So here we have a Doctor that's saying this is a moment of flux, but it's the human race that has to make the decision. That's nicely counterpointed by the fact that, of course, uh, Clara and, to some extent, the the astronaut, uh, you know, abort, even though, as you say, uh, Clara thought of this neat... Solution that they would put the question to Earth in a way that Earth could reply by either leaving the lights on or switching them off. They all go off. Maybe that only means only one half of the Earth has any say in the matter, but at least, you know, it's not just them making the decision. Uh, three generations of women on the moon, but um, uh, they, they abort, which of course leads to what you were just saying when I, when I came in that. Um, uh, Clara's upset because she feels as though she nearly made the wrong decision. Having seen that this creature flies off, doesn't harm Earth, it even lays a new moon, which, again, seems totally bizarre, but for whatever reason, presumably the tides are restored on Earth. Uh, and one of the things... That, they never got like, unstored. The they, they, they never got unstored, so they didn't need to be restored. <laughs> the tides, well, well, they, well, they, they stayed they, normal. They're right there on the beach, and we see no no ill effects whatsoever. Right, right. Well, the point, the point is we have a... Oh, an echo somewhere. Um, we have the, the moon restored to a normal moon, we assume. Uh, but they had said at some point earlier on when uh, they were walking on the moon that, um, you know, this is, when this had happened, we suddenly had high tides all over the world. Well, as far as I know, you don't have high tides all over the world. The whole point about when the moon is above one part of the world that side of the world, the yeah. the, 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 the level That's of the water rises mm-hmm. exactly the same on the 100% round, the other 180 degrees around the world, you have a peak there, and the two uh, 90 degrees to that is where the water goes down, because of course the water's moved. You don't get more water on the Earth, it's just the way the it's water w- responds being pulled. to the gravitational yeah. pull of the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
But um, I, I, I thought the whole dilemma was excellent. I thought it was good that the Doctor withdraws. I feel as though the Doctor actually didn't leave them. The, basic, the Doctor just made the TARDIS invisible because he, he was right there the second Clara had made a decision he came out to rescue them. You know, they were never in danger. That reference to me, although Clara doesn't see it in that speech she makes, you know, the, the Doctor still seems to be testing her. You remember in the uh, the Deep Breath episode where he virtually leaves her in a, a room and, yes. you know, stands still, you know, holds mm -hmm. your breath, and then goes outside the shutter comes down. When she has that faith and she puts her hand behind her, I know, Doctor, you'll be there and will grab hold of me. So she's proved... In, in, in a few storylines here that, you know, um, you know, she is a worthy person. Now, I think she may be wrongly interpreting that. In fact, the Doctor was saying it was humanity that was on test here because if they had failed that, then humans were going to sort of basically vanish out of history and not become a race to be reckoned with throughout the galaxy. Because of this one act, he's saying... Uh, and on the beach, and beautifully well acted by Peter Capaldi, uh, he has this appearance of, you know, all these, um, the timelines are reassembling in his mind. And he says now he can see more clearly, and he predicts what we know all, all the way to, you know, uh, humankind's in utopia, all the way to the end of the universe. So it's a very, very, very strong storyline. Unfortunately, built on a little bit of House of... Uh, a sandcastle of sorts in terms of the science. So I'm not actually sure I might even rate it more than four out of five, but I was surprised at myself because I, I shouldn't have liked it. Uh, talking with my brother-in-law, again, feels as though the science was was too silly for words. But we have had it before. The Christmas invasion, we have the, the star that's, you know, the arachnus or whatever it is that's in the earth, isn't it? Deep in the centre of yeah. the earth. We, we've had all sorts of well, things. Well, if, if it was more before. believable, I probably would have given it a higher rating. It's it's really, it's because of the lack of believability yeah. that it's only a four out of five. And it, it's also slightly altered a little bit, the caretaker episode, because here we have really frightening eight-legged creatures. Then we had that robot, which had the Sarah Jane Adventures appeal to it. Uh, a pity it had the same legs. I'm sure they must have had to have gone with that monster. It must have been something in part development because to have two eight-legged creatures back-to-back -back doesn't seem to be what they would normally have wanted to do. Um, well, but this was originally written for, um, for, the, um, for uh, Matt Smith, this story, and then it, I, I guess they had to rework They. Um, according to um, what's written on the Wikipedia page, that is, I don't know how, how reliable that oh, is. Oh, right, right. Well, we did have a reference to uh, let's kill Hitler, didn't we, in one I'd never mm -hmm. kill Hitler. Uh, but a great initial outing by a new writer, a new director for this episode, and I thought Mary Marigold's music was good. Uh, I've heard from others that the, you know, the actual spiders and that were even more threatening and frightening if you've got surround sound and, and you can hear it properly. Uh, yeah. Very classic mm -hmm. horror, you know, flashlight business. I, I thought there was an awful lot to revenge it. Very well directed, very well written, nice to have a relief from the nether sphere. Uh, the principal actor's great. You could argue that we had a few, couple of throwaway characters in the, the two other uh, astronauts, but of course somebody had to die to show that 
peril aspect of it. But really, I think the story transcended the the science, which I don't think the Rings of Akatan did. No, when they, not at all. And this one, surprisingly, did. So a very no. strong four out, four out of five for me. May even go more than that. And the, the dialogue is absolutely brilliant in some of the set pieces. And even though the Doctor, you could argue, was, you know, stood apart for one reason, there were some very strong scenes with the 12th Doctor here. And uh, we also feel as though even that little scene that you played just a moment ago with the... Uh, no, see, you referred to it of, um, you know, Danny Pink consoling mm-hmm. and saying, well, you haven't finished with him because you're still angry, and that he'd had a bad day. What sort of a bad day could come up against what we've just seen in this. Well, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to find he, out in the next. He's talking about some. Uh, I'm assuming it took place in, while he was in the service, and that's what that's uh, right, that's yes, what changed. Well, presumably, it's going to be a story that hopefully we are going to be letting yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Point. Yeah, I'm assuming and, so. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, I'll hand back to you. Um, as I say, I liked it in spite of. Things that I shouldn't have liked. Yeah. No, I felt um, the same way. We're on the same, yeah, same. Sure. We're on the same um, channel, if you will, <laughs> because I felt the same way. And, you know, there, there's a lot. The thing that I really liked about it was the the the, the decision, um, the ultimate, you know, decision that had to be made and the, the, that had to be answered. You know that, and I thought that's what saved it really. This is Matt Smith, and you're listening to Doctor Who Podshock. We'll be back shortly with our review of Kill the Moon. We want to take a break and briefly and talk about Audible, as always. We like to uh, give a recommendation, a uh, possible choice for your free audiobook. But first, let me remind you about Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from in all different genres, be it thrillers, business, comedy, romance, and of course, science fiction. They got hundreds of titles for Doctor Who. Um, you sh- really should explore what their options are and what their, I mean, what their titles are available. Uh, all their titles will play on iPhones and Kindles and Androids. Over 500 devices for listening anytime and anywhere. And for you, Doctor Who Podshock listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial, so you have a chance to check out their service. And if you decide it's not for you, uh, you can just cancel within that 30 days and keep your free audiobook. It's yours to keep and listen as much as you like. So to download to, to, to download your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash podshock. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podshock for your free audiobook. And as always, we have links to it on our website, podshock.net. In case you can't get to that URL now, you can't write it down. It's understandable. So what to recommend? Well, we're reviewing Kill the, Kill the Moon. Uh, one title to, that's um, at least similar in title alone is Hunter's Moon. It's a uh, 11th Doctor story. It's narrated by Arthur Darrow, and it's written by Paul Finch. And like I said, it's an 11th Doctor, Matt Smith's type of story with um, Amy and Rory, since, and, and like I said, Arthur Darville is narrating it. But it's really just um, just similar to Kill the Moon in title only. 
but it's interesting nonetheless. So let's let's just hear just a small little bit of it right here. Malik ran as he'd never run before. He was young and strong, and though he'd been running for hours already, he knew that he could keep going for a while yet. This didn't mean that he wasn't aching all over, that his throat wasn't raw with gasping and panting. The air was foul in this place. It tasted bad, it smelled bad. It was filled with pollutants, but still Malik ran, sucking it in in great lungfuls. He was staggering along a corrugated steel conduit. As if such a surface wasn't difficult enough, it was streaked with oil and grease and strewn with a rubble of broken machine parts. And of course, it was dark. It was always dark here. Inevitably, he stumbled and fell. He landed face first, a jagged edge tore his chin and lower lip, the pain lancing through him. The metallic taste of blood filled his mouth. He spat it out as he hauled himself to his feet. His wheezing for breath was so loud that he imagined it could be heard for hundreds of metres along the conduit. Not that it needed to be, because now, when he listened, he heard a clank, clank of approaching feet. He turned sharply. Around the corner, some twenty metres away, a figure appeared. It was indistinguishable in the dimness, apart from its eyes, from which two red laser beams blazed. They swept from one side of the passage to the next, quickly pinpointing him. Malik shrieked and threw himself to the ground. There was an ear-shattering crump as an energy bolt struck the conduit wall close to where he'd been standing, showering him with red-hot shards. Though dizzied by pain and concussion, Malik wormed his way out through the smoking aperture. There was a drop on the other side, which for all he knew might plummet hundreds of metres onto more piles of scrap or into a corrosive sludge of waste chemicals. But in fact, he fell no more than a metre, landing on a rickety steel catwalk which shuddered as he stumbled along it. Again, that's Hunter's Moon, and that could be a selection. Or, if you, um, as um, it was mentioned in chat, we have um, another selection, Doctor Who and the Creature from the Pit by David Fisher, and it's narrated by Tom Baker, the fourth Doctor himself. And uh, um, that might uh, have a little bit more correlation to what we're reviewing this week in this episode of Doctor Who Podshock with Kill the Moon. Um, so you might want to give, I haven't, I, I mean, it's been, I can't remember the last time I've seen it, uh, but this is a little bit from the, um, from the audiobook. Again, this is Tom Baker, Kill, um, not Kill the Moon, Creature from the Pit. It was a beautiful day, thought the Lady Adrasta. Hot and humid, of course, which was hardly surprising, since the whole planet was covered with a thick, impenetrable jungle. But nonetheless, a beautiful day for an execution. No, no, please, my lady, please. The Lady Adrasta ignored the man's cries as her guards dragged him to the edge of the old mine shaft they called the Pit. The wretched engineer had failed her. Those who failed her died. It was a simple rule designed to encourage efficiency among her subjects. Some it did, some it didn't. Those it didn't were obviously deliberately refractory, and she was better off without them. The man had become silent, 
staring in horror down into the darkness below him. Bored, the lady addressed her looked around. The green, oppressive jungle seemed almost visibly to be encroaching on the mineshaft. It was encroaching everywhere on the planet, she thought, like a vast green sea. Well, what are we waiting for? She snapped irritably at her vizier, Madame Carella. We haven't got all day. The wizened old woman with evil eyes fingered the knife she wore at her waist. All this business of the pit, she thought, is a waste of time. Why the pit? Simpler to cut their throats, quicker, too. Still, if my lady wanted to indulge her whim... Carella signaled to the guard who carried the great hunting horn. It was made out of the antler of some huge beast. The guard raised the horn to his lips and blew a single blast, which echoed and re-echoed in the green clearing. There was a moment of silence, of expectancy. Even the victim fell silent. Everyone waited. Then it came. An answering call from the pit. Inhuman, not animal either. The sound of some great... What? The victim, staring down, caught a glimpse of something enormous yet shapeless moving in the darkness below and screamed. The lady addressed her nodded to the guards. Two of them seized the poor engineer and hurled him over the edge of the pit. She watched with interest as he fell among the pile of bones, remnants of previous engineers and scientists who had failed her. Then something, a shape, unimaginably huge and of an extraordinary luminescent green rolled towards him, covering him. The man screamed and was silent. The lady addressed her shivered and turned away. Madame Carella glanced at her mistress and shrugged. The knife, she thought, would be easier, simpler, all this fuss about using the creature of the pit. Again, that's Tom Baker. Uh, that could be your selection. Um, obviously, this is a fourth Doctor story. Um, it doesn't have to be. You can pick whatever you like. To download your free audiobook, simply go to Audible Podshock. I mean, audibletrial.com slash Podshock. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Podshock for your free audiobook. And now let's return to our live review of Kill the Moon. All right, let's get uh, okay. let's get um, some callers in. We got a couple of people in the queue, starting with Kyle, and um, welcome back, Kyle, to the show. And I'm so glad you're here, shooting the breeze, and uh, as we kill the moon. Good afternoon, everybody, Dave, and everyone. Lewis, how are you? Good, good to have you. Good to be good, back, Kyle. Well, I have a very different approach to how I sounded last week. The last five minutes of last night's episode completely, 100% changed my opinion of Clara. It, I mentioned to uh, Lewis earlier in the chat, it was the scene that I've been waiting for. Oh, that's the scene. Uh, it completely, yes. uh, totally changed my opinion of Clara 100%. And I'm getting the feeling, I've read several places that 
they're attempting to, and I think we've discussed it here, that they're attempting to create the dynamic from the original William Hartnell era with the two teachers, the student, the doctor, mm-hmm. and we all remembered Hartnell being very uh, standoffish uh, at the beginning, and I'm wondering if what happened with Clara at the end of the episode will be what will now take Capaldi and change his doctor to a more relaxed, not as a little bit standoffish as he's been in these first episodes. What do you guys think? Well, I, a very I, valid point, that, and, and some people would say it was a little overdue, because we are at, was this episode eight? Seven. Seven. Right. Seven. Yeah, I, I think... And I also like Courtney this time. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Lewis, go ahead. I, no, no, I was just saying, I think that Ale- the, 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 you can see the similarities there. You know, as, as you pointed out, and I think a lot of viewers, um, especially, you know, longtime fans will see, you know, I, obviously we spoke about it, I think, even in our last episode of Dr. Podchuk, you know, where, again, we have two school teachers from Cole Hill, nonetheless, and a young girl that's special. <laughs> So um, it's it seems to be a, an obvious, um, you know, parallel going back to the beginnings of Doctor Who. And, you know, we have a doctor that has a new cycle. Of, or as as the doctor implies, it may not be a cycle. It may he may just go on regenerating. He doesn't seem to know himself. So uh, but it's it's a new I was going to say new set of regeneration, but it's may not be a set, whatever it is. It's it's. It's something new, and um, so it's similar. It harkens back to 1963. Yes, you know how how it all yep. began. Now, I I agree a hundred percent on the uh, dynamics of the science. You know, it was a little bit far fetched, especially since they referred to it several times with there being catastrophes on Earth, and then all of a sudden at the end they're on the beautiful beach with the nice view and everything seems, you know, A-OK. You know, I I do believe that was a little bit far-fetched. But the story overall, you know, I I think it was impeccable. I I didn't mind seeing Danny at the end. Actually, I kind of liked having just that one glimpse. Oh, yeah. It adds, you know, it added to the continuity. I'm agreeing with both of you. I didn't miss Missy. Uh, even though I like the character, I'm intrigued by her. You know, I didn't miss having it pushed down our throats that, you know, here's another episode with Missy. Um, and, and, and let me say again, I like Courtney, and I have not liked her uh, for the first couple of times that she's been out. So, um but I um, watched the scene with Clara at least three or four times since, uh, you know, last night's airing, simply because I just fell in love with the scene. It was like, wow, this is what I've been waiting for. And it, it just uh, now, whenever I go back and watch the other episodes again, it's, it's feeling more Doctor Who to me. So um, I, I said in the chat after I gave my review last week that maybe I needed to trust in Moffat. Well, maybe I needed to. So... Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens next. Yeah, yeah well, it looks absolutely. like... Um, I was just going to say, it looks... I mean, if, um, speaking of her, it look, from what we see in the in the next... Um, in the teaser for next week's, which we'll get to in, later on, um, it doesn't... See, we don't see Clara in, in, that, in those teaser scenes, so maybe we're going to have a, um, um, a companion light episode next week. And, you know, I think we need that. You know, because uh, I know we've done that before with uh, I know with Catherine Tate, we had an you know an episode completely almost without 
David Tennant's doctor, and then vice versa, we had yeah. one almost without um, Donna. Well, so, well traditionally, um, when I they, think we need that. They have uh, uh, when they do when they do shooting, they have one. There's usually one or two episodes that's a Doctor Light episode or a Companion Light episode because that's when they're overlapping. So um, they're shooting two episodes at the same time, and one is using the Doctor, you know, the the whoever's the actor of the Doctor uh, playing the Doctor at the time, using the, using scenes with him more, and then the episode other episodes using more whoever the companions are, the actor or actresses. Yep. That's absolutely right, Lewis, but that may not have been an issue this time because, remember... I know, there's only 12. In the last few seasons... There's yeah, one less episode. They've had, they've, they've, they've had, yeah, they've had the budget for 13 episodes and been told to do 14 mm-hmm. because the Christmas special has come out of the budget, hasn't it? Where this time it's 12 plus the Christmas special. Right. But um, it looks as though we're going to certainly have a, a companion-like one, whether we also get a Doctor-like one. Although some people have said that they hadn't seen uh, enough of the Twelfth Doctor in some of the earlier stories. Anyway, it's been too. The companion has been too, too much at the forefront in some ways. When you know, the, when you're trying to establish a new Doctor, uh, in some cases, you know, the Doctor's played the mad scientist. I mean, rather than the main character. I don't think that, but that's certainly something that um, can be levelled at the series. I think. Mm-hmm. So, Kyle, how many TARDIS groans would you give this story out of five? I am going to give it, I'm, I'm going to echo uh, what Dave said. I'm going to give it a strong four with a potential, you know, for higher than that. Uh, the only uh, complaint, if I had one, would be, uh, you know, the science in it. But mm-hmm. I think that scene at the end made up, at least for me, for any you know, shortcomings in the science. Uh, we, you know, we have to put in the fact that it is science fiction. So uh, I'm going to uh, point toward the fiction as a little less than the science and say that the fiction of the story was absolutely, as the Ninth Doctor would say, fantastic. All right, very so, good. So uh, four out of, a strong four out of five. All right, well, thank you so much, Kyle. Okay. As always, appreciate your input. Absolutely. See you guys next week. See you on the train. Cheers. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Right. Well, moving to next is uh, we're welcoming back Steve to the show. Welcome back, Steve. Good to have you back on the show. And um, what did you think about Hi, killing Lewis, the movie? Good to be back. Hi. Cheers. Thanks for waiting. Hey, no problem. Um, I was watching this. It sort of seemed to me to be uh, almost like a feminist parable. There's a lot of imagery regarding <laughs> the moon. Um, there, there's a, a ritual and or a book called the uh, um, Drawing Down the Moon, which involves the triple goddess. And um, it seems to me you have three women on the moon, and, and I know that the, the writers are pretty well read, and this seems to me not to be an accident. But uh, that's fairly heavy. I could go into the lighter stuff first, if you like. I'm not sure how much time we have left. You sure, sure. Go ahead. Hello. Okay. Um well, um, one of the things that I liked uh, was the roundels on the doctor's shirt. Ah, yes, he was he was wearing a, a shirt with having little round things with a pattern on it. Yeah, on the shirt. Wonderful. <laughs> I don't think, and uh, David mentioned the uh, the similarities to uh, Water of Waters of Mars uh, earlier. Yeah, I, I don't think I, it's entirely I, an accident that there's a resemblance between the thank visual you. 
look of uh, Lundvisk and uh, I guess it was uh, Brooke, Adelaide Brooke. Is that her name? I forget. Um, on, in Waters of Mars. Um, I saw I her too. When, yeah. When uh, the doctor had first uh, reincarnated, oh, sorry, regenerated, he had said that uh, he had made a lot of mistakes and he wanted to revisit these. And I'm starting to wonder if maybe there's a larger thing going on here where he's revisiting scenarios in which he had made decisions and now, you know, this, in this case he's turning over the power to make the decision to people who might be more qualified than he is. Well, just made the thought, as soon as you said that, what about uh, the Dare the Doctor, the fourth Doctor, who is a caretaker, last mm-hmm. episode called The Caretaker, says, why don't you revisit a few of the old faces, just a few, but maybe stories as well, yeah. And I was wondering if maybe, uh, that, that, he seems to be very, very um, stressed out when he's describing the future of humanity. What he's describing sounds glorious and wonderful, but he seems a little stressed out on the beach when he's talking about the future of humanity. So well, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know whether he's omitting things, but he seems to be tiptoeing. Well, I, I assume that the, the, the memories were reassembling themselves within his mind because they just, you know, a little bit like there's a disturbance in the force, you know, ah, mixing okay. my science fiction up, you know, uh, and that um, he's... he's He's, he's That's not a movie, Captain Solo. In yeah, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's no moon. That's <laughs> an egg. Sorry. Um, yeah. Well, this is actually going to cut towards the end. I, for the scenes of, of next week, had, had you guys noticed that this, the, the coming attractions appear to be an episode that was referenced back with the 11th Doctor in the Big Bang? Really? Where he's, he's describing... An Egyptian goddess on a train on the Orient Express. Oh, no, yeah. that was wow. it. Oh, yeah, big bang. An Egyptian goddess loose on the Orient Express in space. Give us a moment. Sorry. Don't worry about a thing, Your Majesty. We're on our way. But apparently they never got there. But apparently he's going to re- rectify that next week. Maybe this is one of the things that he forgot to do. Oh, wow. That's a good memory you got there. Good catch. Good yeah. catch. Yeah. And uh, I was wondering... I'm not sure if the Doctor's really as tone-deaf as he appears or if he's trying to return the favor. I don't know if he's ultimately deduced. I don't know where he goes when he disappears from the scenes. I don't know how far in the future he's gone. I don't know if he's worked out that Clara has helped him in the earlier scenes and all of her capacities as the impossible girl. But I'm starting to wonder if he's maybe he's trying to return the favor of her having saved and restored and made his life viable and maybe he's trying to do that for her, and he's just no good at it. Like, he doesn't have her natural capacity for helping things along. He's, you know, his attitude gets in the way. I don't know. I'm not sure what's going on. It seems that it seems that something larger is going on, but I don't know. I'm not, I mean, I, I, I just assumed he was somehow, like, watching over the events from afar, <laughs> you know, when he, when he disappears. Well, actually, he just... He just, he just dematerialized the TARDIS and didn't move. And we did see that watch that makes everything invisible, so... Well, the TARDIS doesn't need that, I guess, but there you go. No, no, no. I mean, he's been in the uh, the White House, hasn't he? He's been in the Oval Office. <laughs> and I did love Courtney's quote. What was it? One small thing for thing? Yeah, something like that. One I big thing for thing? Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> I yeah. couldn't remember it was. So, mu- so much for history, so yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> 
it was good. There was a couple of educational things in there, wasn't there? Because there was that. So hopefully kids will look at what the, the exact reference was. And then with the with the astronaut looking out and saying, look, look at that very thin skin of atmosphere. That's all that protects us from us and nothingness. Uh, and uh, basically saying to the young kid, you know, sometimes leaders have to make very harsh decisions, cold decisions. Uh, whether that's right or not, I don't know, but it may make younger people think that sometimes, you know, we don't all live in a fluffy world of um, unicorns and uh, My Little Pony, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and there was that, um, I mean, this may have just been a byproduct of the script, but there was the astronaut who had been skeletonized by the uh, parasites, by mm -hmm. the bacteria. And it, that was much scarier to me than what the Vash and Narada did. And as scary as these, you know, turn out the lights guys were, oh, yeah. this, this was much more terrifying. This is almost as though Ridley Scott had done it. It was, uh, it was pretty scary. But uh, well, apparently and that double entendre where they're, they're talking about um, whether or not they've brought any guns over the conversation mm -hmm. of the doctor saying, we want to know how you, maybe they want to know how you taste. And he says, mm. like chicken. And I don't know whether he's calling the astronauts who brought these missiles to the moon cowards or not, because we, he's already displayed a certain amount of distaste for power military people. But I, I was wondering I about that, because where he says, like, chicken, he, he, he lands on a sort of a cervic note, and I don't, it, it didn't seem to me to be an accident. So I didn't know whether he was mocking them. I I, I just thought there was a, a, a running chicken joke throughout the episode. Yes, there was the know, egg. Like, yes, I, yeah. I might be reading too much into it. You're right. There was the egg. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be the first time I missed the big picture. So I, I just wanted to um, chime in that, that Stephen Moffat supposedly had told the writer, um, in this case it's um, um, Peter Harness, to, uh, for the first half of the story to, um, well... <laughs> I know I want to keep our our uh, G rating here, but basically he said to him to Hitchcliff out of this first half of the episode. It's meaning um, Hitchcliff, <laughs> Philip Hitchcliff is uh, known for creating a lot of horror or, or, or terrifying or frightening episodes back in 1974 through to 1977. He was the, the producer of Doctor Who in that time period. So I, I think that's what... I think he achieved that with, um, especially if young kids watching this will probably um, definitely feel that in that in the first half of this episode. And I think Dave even made a mention how the first half of this episode differs from the second half. Well, it is it is very scary. What is interesting is that Clara doesn't seem to recognize that. Well, and and she she's assuming a sort of a well, her teacher's role, but also a parental role uh, for Courtney. Uh, she objects to Courtney being in the same danger that she has thrown herself into all the time. And she doesn't seem to recognize the similarity between herself and the doctor, where she's, you know, perfectly willing to do this, and then she gets mad at him for having exposed Courtney to it. And Yeah, it's not the first time uh, either. I, I think he's trying, I, I think he may, I, I think perhaps the doctor's trying to help her move on to her next incarnation as she helped him mm -hmm. move on to his, I don't know. Because uh, she did the same thing. She, she criticized the doctor, I don't know if it was last episode or the episode before, in the, in the beginning, in the teaser, for the same thing that she does in the whole episode. She, you know, she, she starts off you know, with that as a criticism to the doctor, and yet then it's, it's exactly what she does. And one thing that uh, I had noticed, uh, 
in the Bells of St. John, where they first have this conversation where he's sort of trying to, the 11th Doctor's trying to sort of analyze her, and he says, but you don't write out on the people you care about. Wish I was more like that. But, well, he apparently still wishes it, <laughs> but he still does it. I, you know, I, like Dave had said, maybe he just dematerialized materialized the TARDIS and left the decision for them. And I, I think I get a sense maybe he was there all along. Well, there was only one groan when he rematerialized. I noticed yeah. he got there very quickly. <laughs> well, the only point is that even if, it, that even if they made the decision to blow up, uh, a rescuing them, you know, I mean, I don't know how fast... Uh, a nuclear bomb arms, but let's say when they hit the button, there was like a 10-second countdown. Perhaps he was thinking that they, they, if they decided to blow it up, they still didn't need to die. So I think he was on hand. Mm-hmm. And he does make a point of driving home to Clara when she says, but I ignored humanity, and he says, what, exactly? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I don't know whether he's trying to make her able to relate to him He's an enigma. I like this doctor. He's he's angry. He's cranky. He's an enigma, though, because sometimes he seems to be completely oblivious to what's going on, and other times you wonder if he's running the show with, you know, advanced knowledge. But, but I think it was uh, right, and, and uh, Kyle was right. It's the time the it's about time that Clara, you know, showed some exasperation against his attitude, because she's proved herself time and time again by now. That is true. Oh, well, her, her performance is moving. I mean, uh, she's, the, the lines are well-written, and her reactions and her performance completely credible. Mm. It's, it's interesting how they let the nominal hero of the show get, uh, uh, well, get his comeuppance. It's, it's, it's refreshing. <laughs> I, I don't think... So- Refreshing for this show, particularly. I'm just saying it's refreshing. Yeah, I, I knew what you meant. Refreshing. Yeah, I, I, Serial I, fiction, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, what would you give the? What would your rating be for? For this story. Well, I'm I'm, I'm okay with the four. Uh, the, I, the the bad science. Uh, yeah, I, I was sort of wondering what happened when the creature flew away, and that sort of, I, I sort of made up the, the, maybe travel through time and laid an egg. I like the theory. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just because I, I wanted to love the rest of it so badly that I couldn't, you know, I, I, when, it, when it starts flying away, I said, well, that's the end. <laughs> but, you know, then the egg reappeared, and I said, well, okay, it, it could travel through time and lay an egg and save this wonderful, wonderful episode. So, yes, I will give it... Hmm. I don't want to give it a five. Can I give it four and a half? Is that possible? Yes, yes. Yeah. All right, four and a half. Okay. Half's all out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Very good. You, you give it four and the bird. <laughs> <laughs> I should have said chicken, shouldn't I? That would be uh, funny. That's okay. <laughs> Everybody do what you meant. <laughs> well, that's all for me. All right. Well, thank you, Steve. Cheers. Cheers. Yes. Thanks again. Thanks. Yeah, I think it's, um, like I said, I think it's a working theory, you know. Like um, Salmon, they, they come back to, years later, they come back in, through space and time to the point where they were hatched and and replace the egg with another egg, and that would explain the size of the egg. All right, well, let's let's get a little tease for next week. 
which seems more fitting. I mean, too, too bad it's not a couple weeks later because it seems very fitting for Halloween. There were many trains to take the name Orient Express, but only one in space. Good morning, everyone. Your goal is to ascertain the foretold's true nature. I know exactly what this sounds like. Isn't this exciting? It's immortal, unstoppable, unkillable. Can we get a new expert? Those that bear the foretold stare have 66 seconds to live. Stop the clock. Well, if you're just listening, you're probably scratching your head. What the hell does that have to do with Halloween? But it's called Mummy on the Orient Express. And um, if you saw the visuals there, you, you probably um, connect the dots better to what I just said. Um, yeah, it's I don't know. I, it does remind me of a flying bus, though. So I'm a little apprehensive about that. But I'm trying to it give it a fair chance. Reminds me of a flying Titanic. Reminds me of a flying Titanic. Yeah, but Doctor Who doesn't have good... Six, um, well, whatever. I, I still got flashbacks to Delta and the Bannerman and with flying buses and Doctor Who. And I said, oh, I still remember that jumping the shock feeling back in, what was it, 1987, whenever that was. All right, okay. well, let's, um, well, we'll see. We'll give it a fair chance. We'll see what happens next week. We'll be reviewing it next week on the same bat channel, or I say chicken channel, in chicken time. So I hope you can join us then. Um, like I said, I think um, overall, not too much disagreement here as far as between the callers and ourselves. Um, we all have given it between uh, four, four and a half um, Tardis groans. And, um, I, yeah, I, th I think there are some people who just can't stomach the science, and I thought I would be one of them. Yeah, but, normally uh, I, I would too. The power but, of the dilemma. Of, uh, yeah. But I, I agree with you. I think I, I said that at the outset too. I think that it comes out to be the ultimate question, the ultimate uh, thing that needed to be decided on really is what dis what saved this episode, you know. You know, and, and, it's, and it comes out to the characters and, and the story. Elevated it, yeah. Yeah. So, all right, very good. Uh, as always, you can, um, as I said in the, in the beginning of this episode, you can leave, leave us feedback, um, even after the fact, by calling the Doctor Who po public call box, the Doctor Who Pachak public call box, if I get, or get the whole name out of my mouth at once, the Doctor Who Pachak public call box is 206-337-4699. And I urge you go to uh, pachak.net or gallifrenemcy.org, and, and there's a feedback tab there towards the top and you click on that to get the in case the number does change like i said we may be changing the number um once again um possibly so uh also you could send your feedback to feedback at net. and i know many smartphones um just like um courtney woods you can uh, post stuff to tumblr with it you can also uh leave a voicemail a, a voice memo that is and send it to us um you know record something on a voice memo app and send it to email it to feedback at podshock.net that works too and just keep it around three minutes or under so um and we're going to be um returning to some studio episodes and we'll be um getting to that feedback um before you know it we're already in episode seven so i mean this this is flying by quickly next week is episode and for the older listeners can they still leave a message on the old bulletin board Yes, yes, that's uh, podshock.net. You can, uh, Blue Box Bill and others have still taken upon, you know, using the website. I'm, Definitely. No, I'm, talk, I'm talking about, I'm joking about the early days. Oh, Never okay. mind, Tumble. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, we should also, I should also make a point. We do 
have a poll on our website, and you can um, let's see. Uh, I I I didn't participate in the poll myself yet. Uh, oops, and I was I meant I just clicked the wrong thing. Um, if you go to podshock.net, you'll be able to um, to participate in polls on. It. You can rate the episode. Um, this episode and, and previous episodes from this um, um, from this series, you can give your your TARDIS groans. We still don't have votes yet for because it was just put on it was just put on the site uh, earlier, uh, actually last night. So uh, if you go to Podshock.net, you can click on your rating on Kill the Moon and other episodes. All right, and you can catch Dave on the Cultum Collective. That's the reason why he was late today. Um, so that's at 2 p.m. on TalkShoe as well, and you can catch that on iTunes after the fact, and not just iTunes, other whatever your favorite podcatching client might be. We're all over the place, all over the place. Omnipresent. <laughs> it's like whack-a-mole. If you're interested <laughs> in one area, we'll come up somewhere else. Excellent. All right, so until next week, uh, cheers, everyone. I hope, um, uh, Dave, I hope you have a good week and I look forward to um, having you back next week. I thought you were going to say look forward to the Colton commentary. Well, yes, I'll be back next week. That, that too. <laughs> that too. Okay. <laughs> All right. Cheers, everyone. Bye bye. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented to you by the fan-run GallifreyNMC.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This podcast is also supported by the Podchuck Podcast Companion app now in the iTunes App Store. Visit arttrap.com for more information on this and other podcasts. Listen, we went to dinner in Berlin in 1937, right? We didn't nip out after Putin and kill Hitler. I've never killed Hitler. And you wouldn't expect me to kill Hitler. The future is no more malleable than the past.